Uh, would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 3? We've been on this journey through Mark. I'm going to give you a heads up. When we originally planned this, we thought we'd be at the crucifixion by Easter. Um, I'm sorry, but we're not going to make it uh, to Mark. We're, we're not. So we're on chapter 3. Um, but that was the original plan. It sounded really good on paper. But this is, uh, I can't think of a better time to be talking about who Jesus was, what he said, what he did. And this is the earliest account we have of that. This was at a time when people would have been thinking, saying, well, maybe Jesus did this, maybe he did that. And so Mark, this gospel was the first one. They believe it was the account of Peter's words, but this is John Mark writing what happened with Jesus so that we had a record, and I'm super thankful that we have that. This is not a biography. It's not a history book. This is a gospel. It is a proof. It is a, this is who Jesus said he was. This is what Jesus did. That's what this is for us. So in chapter three, in verse uh, 20, we're gonna read through verse 35. If you remember right, Jesus had just appointed all 12 of his disciples. By this point, he's already healed people. He's cast demons out of people. He's done amazing things. And so in chapter three, verse 20, then Jesus entered a house and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Like, have y'all got that family member? Because if you don't, you might be it. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. The one that you're like, oh man, you're embarrassing us. Quit posting that on Facebook. Quit, you know. What, but this is, they're going to get Jesus because he's embarrassing them. The word has spread in this town. And in verse 22, the teachers of the law came down from Jerusalem and said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. He is Satan driving out Satan. And so Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in, in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. And in verse 27, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. And I love Matthew's retelling of this, Luke, as well. He actually says that you can even badmouth me, the son of man. You can say bad things about me and all that is going to be forgiven. But verse 29, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They're guilty of an eternal sin. Verse 31, then Jesus' mothers and mother and brothers arrived and standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And then Jesus says, this sounds like he's harshing on mom, doesn't it? He says, who are my mother and brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister. And my mother, that's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your word to be alive for us today, to be a lamp for our path. 
with all of the fastness of our lives, maybe for this moment, we could just tap the brakes and breathe in your spirit this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit will do those supernatural things you promised your spirit would do. Heal us, comfort us, teach us. Lord, we are so thankful for your spirit. We don't have to wait in line anymore. We don't have to push through the door because of you, your Holy Spirit. We actually all have a front place in line. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you grew up around the church, I got a question for you. How many of you at some point in your life walked home, as it maybe as a kid, I don't know, maybe last week, and like mom wasn't home, dad wasn't home, they're supposed to be home, and you thought the rapture happened and you got left behind. Just shoot me real straight. Okay, that's a lot. For sure happened to me. And that was, I couldn't text him back then, right? So you're like, you just got the phone, who am I even gonna call? Because, you know, Jesus took them all, so we don't know. And There's some things in the Western Christianity that we do that we come across that we sort of live in a certain way that I, I promise they're not doing in the bush of Africa. It's just different here because our cultural lens is on it. One of them is this thing that is called the unpardonable sin. If I say that word, how many of you know, you've heard that phrase, the unpardonable sin? Okay, another lot. Out of, out of, literally, out of curiosity, how many have never heard that phrase before? It's fine. You don't have to be embarrassed. I'm just curious. Um, you definitely didn't grow up charismatic, I'll tell you that. Um, it's one of these things that has caused an enormous amount of fear in people's lives over the years. It's almost like there's two things that can happen. One is, oh, I know what it is. I understand it, and I don't, I'm not worried at all about it. And then there's the, I know what it is, I understand it, and I can't sleep at night because I'm afraid that I have committed the unpardonable sin, and now I'm going to hell. Okay? I would suggest to you that both interpretations and reading of that, that I know what it means and I'm not worried about it at all, or I know it exactly what it means and I'm completely apoplectic about it, I'm freaked out and angry, I don't, both of those are wrong and show that we don't maybe understand exactly what Jesus was talking about. Because there's this thing that Jesus is saying in this passage and by the way, this, this could have been three awesome sermons. I've heard them all, um, right? The house divided against itself. There's a great sermon on unity for that, right? There's the, you know, binding the strong man, which is, if, again, the charismatics, which by the way, I'm definitely like, I'm Baptocostal, charismatic, whatever. I mean, I'm charismatic with seatbelts on. Like, I'm not harsh in any of that. But, but that one is, well, that we're binding the strong man, which means that I, I bind you in the name of Jesus. So it's about binding Satan. That's that sermon. And then, of course, the unpardonable sin is like the ultimate altar call song, uh, preacher sermon, whatever, of ever, like the unpardonable sin coming down right now. And, um, those are all three little sermons, and I, maybe you've heard more, but the problem is, is Jesus was just preaching one sermon. Like, this is just a sermon. This is all one paragraph. It's all one train of thought with all one idea. And so, for starters, when I extract that idea of the unpardonable sin, which, by the way, is actually part of one continuing thought, and I'm only taking half of it out, you know this, when you take the text out of context, you're left with, with a con, right? It's just not. So when you leave it all together, you get to know exactly what Jesus was saying. And that is, maybe it's hubris, I don't know. What I'm going to attempt to do this morning is to say this is what Jesus was saying and what I believe he was intending. And I hope that 
it speaks to you in a way that it's been speaking to me this week. So Jesus is looking at a group of people that includes his, his family who think he's nuts, right? He's looking at the religious leaders who think he is uh, demonic, that he's bad, that he's, you know, we, we know you're healing people, so it must be satanic, right? So you got the demonic, you're crazy, and then you've got the disciples who are sitting around a circle who just think, man, oh, this guy is who he says he is, and I'll follow him to the ends of the earth. Jesus is speaking to all three groups of people at one time. And I think that in this passage, he shows us what his mission is. Like this is the mission of what he had come to accomplish. He tells us what his role in that mission is and what your role is in that mission. And that's how we're going to unpack this this morning. For starters, what is the mission of Jesus? He, he, he says it up here that he's, he talks about binding the strong man. Uh, to, to rescue somebody out, to, to plunder the house, right, of the, of the strong man, too. I've been uh, reading a book called The Dawn Prayer. Has anybody heard of this book, out of curiosity? Actually, I'm, I'm really surprised you haven't, David. But anyway, it's fascinating. It's a memoir of a photojournalist who was held hostage in a Syrian uh, prison, camp, or prison cell for, for a while, and his story of his getting out of there. It's riveting. Not a Jesus book, by the way, so heads up on the language. But... What he is saying here, what Jesus is saying, is if you're going to go in and plunder the house of the, the guy you're going after, you got to tie up the people who are holding them hostage. See, Matt Schreiber wasn't getting out of there just because he asked. He was only getting out if someone came in and rescued him and pulled him out. And that's the language that Jesus is using. He is coming to bind the strong man you are not the strong man in this metaphor. You are who Jesus is plundering from the strong man's house. The metaphor of the Genesis 3 world. We're here, we're on this fallen planet, this fallen world, and there's no way out unless someone comes and rescues us in the same way that Matt Schreiber, you guys, many of you know Mark and Dana Masterson. Uh, Dana, uh, there, there are missionaries to North Africa. They'll be back this summer, by the way. You talk about some people that got some Jesus stories. You go spend your life in North Africa ministering to Muslims, you get some Jesus stories. But most of you remember Dana because she, in the early 2000s, was held hostage by the Taliban while we were beginning to drop bombs as a country in Afghanistan. And she was a prisoner in this uh, Taliban prison until she was rescued out. No amount of her being nice, no amount of her being negotiating out. It was not until someone would rescue her. That's what Jesus is saying. My, the mission of me is to come and to rescue you, the Pharisees, the people that think I'm crazy, my family, the, the old Mark Lowry song, the one that you deliver will someday deliver you. That's a true story. He came to deliver even his family. And I say that to say that, well, you guys probably all know that. Like you know that Jesus stood up in Luke chapter four, opens up the prophecy and says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to write to sight to the blind and liberty to the captives. Like that's the language that Jesus was using. You're captive, I'm coming to set you free. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that he set us free. Ephesians 4, he talks about that he who ascended first descended and led captivity out. He's taken the hostages back. That's the language of Jesus. Now, everybody who's been around the church for any length of time thinks, well, Darren, I already know that. Because I know that. I thought I knew that. I know that. Sounds so easy, right? Forgiveness. He just forgives them. 
I would like to present to you this morning the idea that is not a new idea with me. I first came across it in another preacher quoting another preacher, okay? So in a game of telephone, I want you to know this quote might not be exactly right. But you can Google it and figure out if I'm missing it. David Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's so old he had four names. Right? We're down to three names. <laughs> he said this, and you, you, uh, he's quoting him uh, this from an old tape, an old preaching tape. But listen to what he said. I say it with reverence, but forgiveness is a problem even for God. In fact, I must say that forgiveness is the greatest problem in the universe. For in Genesis 1, God could say, let there be light. And the very next verse, there was light. But in Genesis 3, God says, let there be forgiveness and salvation. And it was centuries, even millennia, before it could come off. You understand that God can solve any problem when he was fixing things. He was creating. Let there be light. There was light. Let there be a hippopotamus. There was a hippopotamus. But let there be forgiveness, and he couldn't speak it. He couldn't speak sin out of existence. He had to defeat it. He couldn't speak it. He had to defeat it. It's the biggest problem in the universe. The God that can sneeze stars and make it rain turtles couldn't just speak forgiveness. And when you understand that, suddenly you understand he's not just looking at you with a wink and a nod anymore. And you understand it intuitively. Like if someone has done something to you, have you ever had your car broken into before? I have. I used to have a little pickup. And they would come and they would steal my stereo. And it was like the awesome stereo. The one that had like a drawer, like you plug it in. And, and then but sometimes I'd forget, to un, I'd forget to pull it out and take it home with me. And then they'd still they'd come break my windows. And so to the point now, I was actually explaining to my son why I never lock my car's doors. Which, okay, that's out now. So you know, I don't lock my car. Um, but I just got tired of fixing the windows. It's like, for the love of God, you keep breaking my windows. Just here, I'll leave it unlocked. Just shut the door when you're done so we can just be. But it got to the point where literally there's nothing valuable in here but me, and I literally just got out. So just you know, shut the door when you're done. But the point being that after that happened the first time, the world was never the same to me again. Because the, now the world, the toothpaste is out of the tube. I can never get the tube of toothpaste back in again. It's just different. I, I know that we live in a world where sometimes people steal things from us. And it's, so it's not the same. And I can forgive them. I can get a new stereo. You know, it's one of the reasons why in uh, Israeli justice and Jewish justice in the Old Testament, if you stole somebody's donkey, they didn't just send you to jail. They actually made you go get them another one. Like you had to replace what you took from them. So it wasn't just punishment. There was actually, you know, you're repaying what you took for them. But even at that, even if you repay 100% of what you stole from them, you're still now living in a world where now I felt violated and I felt like it didn't. And so it's different now. Which is why if you grew up in a home where you were abused and you might have been spoken of to your father or your mother, and maybe your parents, maybe you're one of the lucky ones where your parents actually came and they wanted to make it right with you and apologize. And the problem with that is it'll never be right. It can be forgiven. Forgiveness is a path, not a, not a, you know, it's not a line in the sand. It's a path that I'm taking. But maybe that's why Jesus even said forgiveness. How, much do you, how many times do you forgive him? 70 times seven. I wonder if sometimes that's because it's just every day I got to wake up and make that decision on this path again. It'll never be the same. Forgiveness is the hardest thing in the universe. It's the hardest problem. And Jesus came to solve that problem. Because the solution would never be 
Everybody just get along now. It, on this side of heaven, it can't be, okay, you be nice to him and you be nice to her. And, because we're going to live in it, we're still in a fallen world, and so it's never going to come out right like that. So Jesus' solution is, i got to hit reset on the whole thing. I'm going to get a new heaven and a new earth. I'm going to restore this whole thing. And I want you to come with me out of this Genesis 3 world, out of this hostage situation, into this new thing, and I've come to take you there. And we could get into the talk of what you know, penal substitutionary atonement and what it is why Jesus would have to die, but suffice it to say, but that was the way that it would actually be solved. It would be for him to defeat death, would be for him to defeat sin and to rescue you out of it. That is the mission of Jesus, to solve the hardest problem in the universe. And what was his role in it? Like Jesus' role in this thing was it just to come and just say forgiveness be? Like everybody, everybody gets forgiveness. It's Oprah. You get a car and you get a car. And you. No, his role was to come and to bind the strong man. And the way that he would bind the strong man would be through his death, burial, and resurrection. So that the perfect man came the perfect, this is the God man, the God who was perfect would come and stand in my place and say that, look, I'm going to take the punishment he deserves. I'm going to pay the debt that not only can he not afford, he doesn't even have the right currency for it, and I'm going to pay it all and rescue you out. The, the strong man is being bound by Jesus, and which is what he's saying. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven of their sins. And the, and the Matthew 12, I think it's verse 28. Someone correct me if I'm wrong. He then goes on to say, you could even... You could even badmouth me, the son of man, and that will be forgiven. Now, if I know how humans work, you're right now, you're, you're, you're skipping ahead to the second one. Can you hold with me just a second? And I'll come back to that. The problem is, is you go there so quickly, or I go there so quickly, I miss the breadth of what he's saying here. Son of man is a term of royalty. Daniel, I think it's chapter seven. It speaks of the son of man coming back in clouds and with royal robes, a king. And in that day and age when Daniel, when even when Jesus, if you were a king, if you were a Caesar, you did not badmouth the king because the king kill you. You remember in Esther, she couldn't, she would, part of the fear was if I even approach the king of Persia, without being summoned, I'm going to be killed. So say something bad about me? For sure not. Approach me? No, not unless I tell you. That's the term of royalty. And Jesus is saying, I'm not that kind of king. I'm the kind of king that you can even badmouth me. What did they do on the cross? They hurled insults at him. They drove nails through his hands. And what did he say? Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they do. The breadth of that forgiveness, on, it's dripping from every page of Scripture. It means that anything that you've done, said, I, it, it is forgiven. He solved that problem. And then he goes on to say, but hey, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's a problem. Now, what does he mean? You're like, finally, Darren, I can finally figure it out. And I want you to know, by the way, that theologians have been talking about this for thousands of years. There are men and women who have probably done this more justice than I can do it. But I promise you this, that what Jesus is saying here is nothing that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are born again, 
Jesus said, no, you are safe in my hands. Nobody can pluck you out, okay? You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to be afraid of it. Now that said, what's he talking about? What's the job of the Holy Spirit in our lives? John chapter 16, verse eight. To convince the world of sin. To convict you of your sins. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And in the Matthew telling of this, when Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, he says to the Pharisees, that, look, if, you, uh, if I'm doing this by, uh, by demonic stuff, how are you casting out devils then? Which is kind of a slap, because the truth is, they weren't casting out any devils, right? So he's kind of slapping their wrist. But he's saying that, if, if, but if I'm doing it by the Spirit of God, then what that means for you as a Pharisee is the kingdom of God has come upon you. The work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus was casting out demons, was healing people, but had come to set them free from their sins. Jesus would say just a few verses earlier, which is easier for me to do, to say rise up and walk or your sins are forgiven? It was a trick question, but the truth is it was harder to say your sins are forgiven. The hardest problem in the universe. He had come to do that for them. And the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives was to say to them, receive this rescue. Come out of this capture. And when they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what they're saying is that that's the work of Satan and I am rejecting that. I am rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, does that mean that if you've done that once, that it's over? I've heard it said, and I think it's true, by the way, that even if you ask that question, the answer is no, you haven't committed that sin. Uh, Hebrews 6, I believe, talks about Esau. Don't be like Esau, who couldn't even repent. He was unrepentable, I think is the word. It's some King Jamesy word. It wasn't that Esau repented and couldn't find forgiveness. It was that he wasn't repenting at all. It doesn't say that he couldn't find forgiveness. It was saying he couldn't find repentance. And there's something in that, that that's why I say that on either side of this, there's the side of like where I don't have to worry about it at all. And there's the side of where that I'm so worried about it that neither one of those are right. But in this somewhere is the drawing of the Holy Spirit to you, coming unto the Father. And I believe there's a supernatural work of the Spirit that we take for granted, that if you are being drawn to, this, to Jesus, you're being drawn, to, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when I reject that work over and again in my life, I keep pushing back. There seems to be this indication that I could come to a moment where I just no longer care and I'm not going to repent at all. I don't want to repent anymore. It's why when you read the apocalyptic language of Revelation and you see them just raging against him. Now, keeping in mind, by this point, he's got angels flying around the atmosphere with bullhorns preaching the gospel, people be raised from the dead, miracles happen everywhere, and at some point, there's still people that are saying, we'll not have you be Lord over us. So they're not seeking repentance. They would have found it if they sought it. Instead, they're saying, I don't want to repent at all. And so might I suggest this morning to you, if you are thinking about it at all, it's because the Holy Spirit is drawing you, and don't ignore that. Just... Say, no, I'm coming in. I want to be rescued. I want to be, I want to receive this. I'm not going to get it all right. I'm going to blow it again, but I'm able to repent and this forgiveness covers it all. I'm safe in his hands to, to receive the rescue that he's offered you and to not push and keep pushing and keep pushing because like, I don't know when the line is. I know when the last line is and that's the when you breathe your last breath this side of heaven. When the, Jesus is rescued and plundered the strong man's house and the rescue has happened, and you have said, no, I'm staying behind. I'd like to do it better here. That for sure 
is you rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit and there will be a point where there is not another opportunity. And so might I encourage you this morning to just pray and say, oh Lord, are you drawing me to you? Is that, is that your spirit that's, that's drawing me to you? And just say yes to the rescue because Jesus is not going to re-kidnap you. Do you understand? When he opens the door to freedom, it's not to kidnap you and take you to another captivity. It's to say to you, I'm setting you free, but you have to decide whether you want it. Does this make sense? Okay, I hope so. And now that I'm there, I've accepted this repentance, I've forgiven, and I've the, the, bound, the strong man has been bound in my life. What is my role in this? To just sit there and, and wait or to... I love this because he says uh, the, this language, which sounds so harsh. Where's my Bible? Well, I'll just read it. He's sitting around him and, and the mother and brothers are outside looking and he says, who are my mother and my brothers? And it sounds so harsh, doesn't it? I mean, this is your mom. Don't whitewash over that. Jesus is like harshing on his mom. By the way, one of the greatest proofs, in my opinion, of many proofs of Jesus being who he said he was, was that his family believed. Can you imagine? Look, if my brother shows up, Connor, and says he's Jesus, you understand he's going to have to do a lot to prove that. Because I know better. It's your brother for crying out loud. I know him. It ain't him. So imagine what Jesus would have had to have done to convince them. Mary, who had already been visited by an angel, said, Jesus, you're crazy. Come home. You're embarrassing us. What is it that would take? I believe it's a resurrection that they looked at that, and James would be actually executed in a terrible way, knowing that it was true. That's beside the point. The point is this. They come back to him. They come in and they want to be a part of his family. But listen to what he's saying. You, listen, Brandon, you are my brother. You are my mother. You are my sister. He's not, he's literally welcoming us into his family. It's not excluding his family. It's saying you're my family. Those who believe, those who do the will of the father. So it's not a harsh thing. It's a beautiful thing to say that everybody who follows, who does the will of my father comes in to receive this rescue. You're now my family. That's beautiful. And so when you hear Jesus say, again, in the Matthew version and the Luke version, he will say that you're either with me or you're against me. You're either gathering or you're scattering. And that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Is Jesus saying that there are thousands of options and I've just narrowed it down to these two? It's like you're going to Baskin and Robbins and kids, I just need you to make a choice, okay? So I've narrowed it down to chocolate or vanilla, pick a choice. Right now, we're leaving Or is it because those are the only two options? Alistair Begg, the Scottish preacher from Cleveland, Ohio, go figure, um, says that Jesus wasn't having a philosophical debate with these people. He was just stating the facts. There are one of two places. There's no such thing as a third-party witness on this that we're just making observations. You're either in the witness seat or you're behind bars, and those are your two options. And Jesus has come to say that. I'm not saying it to narrow your choices down to make it hard. I'm just saying this is the truth. You're either rescued or you're in prison. Those are your only two options, but I'm going to let you choose them. I've come to rescue you. Imagine storming when, uh, when Dana was rescued in Afghanistan, and she decided I'm going to stay behind rejecting the rescue. Jesus 
we wouldn't have let her do that, right? Our government troops, when they came and rescued them, they would have known, oh no, while I appreciate your enthusiasm, you're going with us. But Jesus allowed that option because he's so good that he's not gonna force you to be with him if you don't wanna be. Who are my mothers? Who are my brothers and my sisters? And what would your family do? I don't know if anybody of you grew up in the family business, right? You grew up, well, you did, right? The marriage helper. So what do you do now? You do marriage. You fix marriages. That's what the family business is, right? It's family ministry. But my point is, you grew up in a family business and now you're in the family business. What are you gonna do? You do the family business. Jesus said, do you not know that I'd be about my father's business, speaking, when they went looking for him? What is the family business? Casting out demons, preaching the gospel to the poor, setting the captives free, restoring sight to the blind. You are in the family business, and it is not Sanford and Sons. You are in the business of rescuing people. I mean, think about that, Kimberly. Like, you guys help rescue marriages from the, like, the brink is there anything more Holy Spirit than that, than pushing back the demonic of a, of a marriage being torn apart? You're about your father's business. And every one of us in our work, I mean, Jim and Ildi, when you guys are creating moments for weddings, you're telling the story of the, their love and this, you know, this beautiful thing. You are about your father's business by telling a love story of someone just through your work and your art. You're literally going out, pushing back the darkness and allowing light to shine in. In Armando and Marisol, when you guys are in your restaurants with your staff and your employees and the way that you guys handle your business, you are in a, you're doing business in this side of heaven through the gospel, through the lens of Christ. It's doing your father's business this side of heaven. And I could literally go around this room and I encourage you to remember that that's my father's business. That whether I'm digging you know, post holes, whether I'm fencing, whether, you know, whatever it is God has called you to do, it's not an interruption of your work. It is your work to make sure that the gospel is the center of it. We have this great privilege to be a part of his family. And I know that you'll walk out and be wondering about this forgiveness thing, but man, might I ask you to consider that you don't have a big enough understanding of how hard forgiveness was to get for you. And maybe today you could think a little bit more through that as what that might mean for you. Because the strong man has been bound up on your behalf and now you have to decide whether you're gonna stay here and rearrange your furniture in the prison cell or whether you will go with Jesus and join him in the mission. I hope you'll choose that one. Stand to your feet and I wanna pray for you. The mission of Jesus and he did it. He didn't come in to rescue you and say, okay, now here's your jobs. You've got to help you rescue yourself. You understand that was the problem with the Pharisees? They had it in their mind that they were going to rescue themselves. We've been working so hard for so long, and now Messiah is going to come, and he's going to set everything right. He's going to take out the Roman. He's going to put the good on top and the bad on the bottom. And we're going to be, of course, the good in that equation. And Jesus rejected it out of hand. Because in the kingdom of God, it's not the good on top and the bad on the bottom. It's not the good are in and the bad are out. It's the humble that are in and the proud that are out. It's the humble that say, I'm receiving this forgiveness. I'm admitting the truth about myself. I need this. We're in. 
you're in. You ever wonder why the movie The Greatest Showman just resonates in your soul so much? Because you see, like, there's the bearded lady. There's it's like the freaks and the they're all, but they're all in this place, welcome together, and it fits so well in your heart because we all feel like that. And there's so many movies where that's the general theme that you are suddenly belonging and what Jesus is saying in this by making you his brother, his sister and all that is that it's even your family, this side of heaven will one day not all be here again. One day you will be the last person, maybe you will be the last person to bury someone you love and live the rest of your life without them. But this family is even a fragile identity. I'm giving you an identity that'll last forever. My family, forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that if your spirit right now is knocking on somebody's heart, that they'll listen. That you'll listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit right now to put away the religion, to put away the I'm just going to church because that's what I'm supposed to do because I'm just afraid not to (laughs) and receive the rescue that Jesus has promised us. Lord, you said that all who would call upon your name would be saved. You've kicked down the door. You have bound the strong man. Why on earth would we stay in this bondage? Today, I pray that there are those, Lord, right now that are receiving that forgiveness and stepping into your glorious kingdom to become a part of your family, to become a part of the family business of preaching the gospel. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.